I've always, always, always loved the angel's question in verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Basically, why are you here? You're in search of something, but why are you here? And that question has just stuck with me all week. And I thought about, and as I prayed about this Easter gathering, I kept coming back to, why am I here? Why are we here? I remember from back in the day before I made a decision to follow Christ, I remember I I attended countless Easter gatherings and services. Maybe you guys can relate. And I remember the white lilies on the stage, and I remember I could count the teeth of the band leader due to his, his outrageously large smile. And I remember the smell of burnt coffee. But what I don't remember, what I don't remember is someone asking the questions that the angels just did is, what are you looking for? Just a quick side note, did anybody else notice what the angels were wearing? Dazzling apparel. I'm just super pumped about that. I just am hoping that they got a hot glue gun and some plastic diamonds like, Easter Sunday, we're going to bedazzle this. But what I wish is somebody would have asked me year after year as I sat there is, why are you here? What is it that you want? What are you looking for? And I think it's interesting to pull Easter Sunday morning or to pull any church's attendance, we would find numerous, numerous answers to that question, why are you here? And what's interesting, I think, to get a variety of answers seems to mostly only happen within the confines of a church setting. Here's what I mean. To ask the question, why are you here at an arc light? To, to watch a movie. We're here to see a film. To ask the question... Why are you here at Brian's, Dave and Buster's? Well, if you go to Dave and Buster's, it's really to live for the first time. Am I right? So that's why you're there. To ask the question, why are you here at traffic school? To ask the question, why are you here at the gym? We know. But to ask the question, why are you here on an Easter morning, on a day like today, at a church gathering? The answers are like the stars in the sky. Because everybody's answer is different. So I extend the same question to you that I desired to hear so long ago. And this is for both those who don't follow Jesus and for those who do. Take a moment and know why you are here. Some are here for sidecar donuts and blue bottle. And you can't can't blame them. Like, some are here for that. Some are here because it's Easter. And Easter and Christmas, tradition. But some are here because they are hurting. And some are here because they want answers to life's challenging questions. And some are here because they're afraid. And some are here because they're hopeless. And some are here involuntarily. They were dragged here. And some are here because they believe and know that 2,000 years ago something happened so shocking and so marvelous that it started the world over. The Son of God, whose name is Jesus Christ, was abandoned by loved ones, betrayed by a friend, tortured, beaten, hung on a large wooden cross, and executed for you and for me. He was then laid to rest in another man's tomb. But is that the story of Easter? Heavens no. I mean, that might as well be the most depressing narration if that was the end. Might as well just show Old Yeller or pass out Nicholas Sparks books. So that wasn't the ending. See, we're here celebrating. So what happened? What happened? The dead didn't stay dead. 
Or as an old English theologian, John Owen, once said, the death of death and the death of Jesus Christ. Meaning that this Jesus Christ of Nazareth overcame the world's biggest fear, that being death, and walked out of his own grave. This Jesus uppercut the grim reaper. This Jesus suspended the natural law. This Jesus did the one thing no one can or has ever done and raised himself from the dead. And if this is true, then surely we have to think. If this is true, then surely we have to think that this is the day that changed the world forever. And it was all of this which ignited what we have today as Easter Sunday. You see, Easter is, yes, an account of death to life. But to know Easter, the reality of Easter is the beginning of everything. See, Easter is, Easter is, is joy, Easter is the answer. Easter is a celebration. Easter is a banner of victory. Easter is far more than pastel holidays and glazed hams and egg hunts. But don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I love ham and I love egg hunts. No child's ever beat me at an egg hunt. Super good. And this victory over death. But this victory over death transformed a handful of the most unexpected uneducated, unwanted men and women you or I would probably ever meet. They were so rocked and brain-melted from the empty tomb that they devoted their lives in telling the world about a defeated grave and its victor, Jesus. The resurrection proving to them and to us that Jesus was more than a cult leader. Jesus was more than a miracle man. Jesus was more than a prophet, more than a teacher, He was not just good, he was God. He was who he said he was. And who did he say he was? In the Gospel of John, in the New Testament of the Bible, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he proved it, signed, sealed, delivered. These men and women were never the same again. So much so, we see the effects of their efforts here and now at Santa Monica Bay Women's Health Club on 4th Street. We see the effects of their effort here and now from 12 peeps or so who follow Jesus super closely to the millions upon millions upon millions of Christ followers we have today. It was a movement of generosity. It was a movement of charity, a movement of non-transactional love, a movement so much bigger than themselves that culture and humanity has never seen anything like it. Here's a quick quote expressing the gravity that the resurrection had on society in their day and today. And this is from a sociologist at Baylor. But this is the movement. To cities filled with homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. The cities torn by violent ethnic strife. Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. So what made Christianity unique? The only thing able to cause a shift of this magnitude is the tectonic quake of Christ's bodily resurrection. So hear me out. Hear me out. Everything we just went over. If we're getting this right, the question, why are you here, as important as it is, 
may not be as important as the question, why is Easter here? Why is Easter here? Have you asked that question before? Do you know the answer? Why was the grave emptied? Or couldn't it just be done at the cross? Why is it that this spread from 12 to the millions, millions, and millions, which are worshiping Jesus in this exact moment across the world? Why do we care about any of this? For me, because I believe with every blood cell of my body, whatever your answers may be to why you are here, the resurrection will address each and every one of them. For every reason you're here, the resurrection, Christ alive, has something for you today. Because it's the good news, it's the joy, it's the joyful good news that addresses our every fear and our deepest hope. I hope we never view and never have, or even from this day forward, we never view as the resurrection as just some other Bible story. Just another Bible story with felt-board sheep or, you know, goldfish crackers and a Dixie cup. It's not just another Bible story in Sunday school. It's the very re- resurrection of Jesus that is the beginning of everything. If you're curious about the Christian faith, know this. Everything that is Christianity... Everything that is told of in the Bible, everything that is the gospel comes down to what we're celebrating today. The Bible itself says this, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Christianity stands or falls with the empty grave. And then it goes on to say, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It is the resurrection where wonder and truth temporal and eternal life and afterlife life's problems with life's answers converge but i want to just slow our roll for just a minute because this is so much easier preached than believed right those here who don't follow jesus and perhaps those who do don't we just read this biblical account don't we just hear these words and go come on Come on. Really? Not only does this entire event sound far-fetched, but so does, it, so does it, its power to change me in the here and now, to change my world in the here and now. And if you be thinking this, don't worry, my friends, you are in good company. You are in good company, for even the closest to Jesus, right before their very eyes, couldn't grasp why Easter happened. They, too, needed a reason to know why Easter was here. Look at verse 11 again. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. I mean, the women had no idea. They were coming with burial spices. It's not like they were coming to find a risen Jesus. So for me, my first inclination, at least mine is, is to go, what is in the world is wrong with these disciples who follow Jesus so closely? Well, if they don't believe, how can we believe? They walked physically with Jesus. As 2016 followers of Christ who have the whole Bible, we kind of want to yell at them and go, I mean, you saw Jesus walk on water, pee-pee. You saw Jesus get cray at a party and turn water to wine. You saw Jesus. Jesus told it to your face that he's going to be killed and raised in three days. But here, when everything goes down, you run, disciples. You hide 
followers of Jesus, and you doubt. So friends, here today, allow this to be a warm, warm blanket in the winters of doubt and a breath of fresh air regarding the difficulty of believing its implications and reality. The disciples here are locked away, grieving not only the death, of the, uh, the death of a beloved friend, but grieving what they thought they had. To them, years of their life were just wasted. The hope of the future died on that cross as well. So they too feel betrayed. Christians here today, those who've walked away from church, those who've walked away from Christ, have you at times, maybe even now, felt betrayed by Jesus? Assuming Jesus and the church community would be this for me. It would be perfect for me. This text uncovers for us that Easter is not just a day for those who don't know the risen Jesus, but for Christians who forgotten, who excuse me, forgotten, who felt let down, who feel let down in doubt. For those who once believed, like the disciples of Jesus, and because of the doubt and disbelief, they're welcome to look in the tomb. Do you guys get that? Peter's doubting, and he stoops and looks in the tomb. Because of their skepticism, they're invited to test it to see if they've been abandoned by this Jesus or if this is really the beginning. Other gospel accounts have the disciples so out of sorts that the risen Jesus says to his followers, feel my wounds. See and know that I am not a phantom. I am not a ghost. This is flesh and blood. This is bodily resurrection. Friends, the entire Bible, the gospel, Jesus Christ himself welcomes all those who doubt and all of those who feel let down by God. This is a much, much, much needed word for today on a Sunday like Easter, where many, many doubt. This is true for Christians, and don't be shocked, this is true for Christians. Christians doubt as well. So permit me to ask, today, are you doubting that any of this is possible? Even today, maybe you believe that, okay, maybe it's possible, but stand in disbelief that this could mean anything for my life. Let's take this a step further. Is this talk on the resurrection sound ridiculous to you? Trivial. I came for the donuts. This talk is dumb. Like, is this what is just ridiculous? Extremely well-known atheist, I'm assuming so many of you know, an author, doc, uh, Dr. Richard Dawkins, in a discussion with a Christian, he pounced as the theologian was explaining the centrality of the empty tomb. Here are Dawkins' words. We come down to the resurrection of Jesus. He says it's so petty and so trivial. It's so local. It's so earthbound. It's so unworthy of the universe. Does anybody agree with these words today? Those of you flirting with uncertainty and frustration with the resurrection's unworthiness, God greets you with open arms, your doubts, and your skepticism. They can be brought to him. See, as history as the Bible is littered with validation, so that thoughts of this is a hoax can become thoughts of this is honest. Everything from the women who at the time would have never been a credible resource Yet each gospel account wonderfully and unapologetically shows women as the first ones discovering the empty tomb. Or the over, the, you know, the over 500 people saw Jesus. Or the fact that Jesus or Luke, our author, mentions so many people by name. 
or that nobody was ever to be able to produce a body to falsify this, and there are so many more that we can't get into. But one author, theologian, has a little blurb on this. He says, the historical evidences which prove the resurrection are obvious for all to see. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark without any historical evidences. Excuse me. Neither will historical evidences demand faith, for the man of unbelief will always come up with a different historical explanations. However, faith is supported and reinforced by historical evidences. So I, I say all of this so that we recognize that the resurrection stands in honesty with meaning. Church, I don't know about you, but to me, this is freeing. That this isn't some call, or a faith isn't some call to anti-intellectualism but a faith that is as solid as the stone that was rolled away. It summons all, both believers and skeptics, and sometimes one of the same, to think about faith, to think about why they are here, to think about the reality of the risen Jesus, and to know that Christ is very much alive. And if Christ is very much alive, that changes everything. Would you not agree? If Easter is real, as I'm saying it is, if Jesus could defeat death, doesn't that naturally make our next thought go, oh, what then does that make of my life? If the resurrection is true, the next thought is, whoa, 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 mama, what does that make of my life? If Jesus could defeat death, then all of life must be redefined. All relationships and all vocations and all finances, all past regrets, all future hopes, all desires and passions, all of life redefined. And only the author of life has a right to define or redefine life. And Jesus is that author. I think far too often so many get preoccupied with answering like the radical skeptics. That little energy has been given to proclaiming what an abandoned casket means for our everyday, for our Monday. If you notice, our theme for this Easter is uh, beginning of everything. It's a bit vague, isn't it? It's a bit vague. See, if not communicated, if not communicated, it could seem that I'm promising as a Bible teacher that all things, evil and bad and dark, had their end at the first Easter. And to then believe in the resurrection means the beginning of everything good for everybody. That marshmallows and puppies are just launched into the sky. Everything's fine. And that simply isn't true. Because tomorrow, there will be backaches. Tomorrow, your boss is going to yell at you. Your mother is still in the hospital. Your friend is still gone. The attack on Brussels still happened. Our children still need to be disciplined. Your spouse is going to do that one little thing that just drives you bonkers. There will still be traffic on the 10. You will still be in debt. Nickelback is still making albums. There's just... Now, don't get me wrong. The resurrection is is the victory over power and darkness and death, but their presence still resides for now. So I will never promise that Easter is the end of your troubles. But I will promise is that Christ's resurrection is the beginning of everything new. Not the riddance of hardship, but the redemption of hardship. Easter is the beginning of a new person, a new perspective, and a new purpose. 
This is how the reality of Easter changes our day to day. No more thinking that the resurrection is something that happened in the past or my glorious future. See, it is no less that, but it is far more. Get this, the empty tomb not only guarantees eternal life then, but real life now. It is the beginning of our personhood, the beginning of a proper perspective, and the beginning of a renewed purpose for everyday living. To believe the resurrection, to follow Christ, creates for us a new, unshakable identity, personhood. Now, something we all hate to hear, and something that many, many churches have thrown away, or it's just too churchy, it's the word sin. Nobody wants to be called sinner, but we are sinners. To, see, to, to, to sin means to push God out of the way. To be a sinner means we choose our way rather than his. It means to deny all that God is and choose death rather than life. It's the belief that we are our own Lord. And this is the default position of mankind for all of us. And there is no way any of us can do anything to change our status or our personhood. I don't know, but I've tried to change myself. It don't work. See, we may identify ourselves as mother or tech or actor or lawyer or artist, musician or failure or forgotten or athlete or student, divorced, alcoholic, broken, powerful. And each one of those titles, as great as some are and as heart-wrenching as some are, they're all definitions that we write ourselves. They are not permanent, they are not everlasting, but then enter the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And only through the cross and resurrection of Jesus do we have a beginning of true personhood or identity. You see, rather than God wiping us out, which would have been totally justifiable, a holy, blameless God, kind and gentle God, moved towards us. He came to us. He who knew no sin came to us and broke into the darkness and forged away. And that way is Jesus. That way is the resurrection of Jesus. The penalty of sin is death. That's what the Bible says. And Christ came to take that penalty, to take that death of yours and of mine. So that we are no longer identified with things which are shakable or temporal. But our personhood, our identity is And the risen Jesus is incorruptible. So that we may say, I am no longer a slave to my idols, but a child of God. I am no longer defeated, but I am more than a conqueror. I am no longer leashed to my sin, but I am saved. I remember back in the day when I would attend these Easter services and people would just be telling me, you need to be saved. I was so bothered by that. So bothered by that. My life's good, bro. I was so offended. The resurrection is so offensive. I used to be abhorred by this idea that I need to be saved from who I am. That somehow somehow I was in the same lineup as abusers and alcoholics and criminals. And somehow I needed to be saved. See, what I thought I needed is a, a pat on the back or a key to the city. See, I'm a decent person. I help people's kickstarters. I, I wash my hands after using the restroom. I wave people in at traffic. I'm good. What in the world did I need to be saved from? I remember as a child, we were uh, so, 
so poor. Um, but we were the type of family that wouldn't let anybody know, you know, we wouldn't let the world know that we were that poor. So every year we took family photos. And so what we do is we drive down to JCPenney's and they would take your family photos. Anybody remember that? And they'd bring the screen down. Good, two of you, he got me. So they bring that screen down and you sit there and you just give them one of those. And... But we were poor and dirty and gross. And so my mother, God bless her, my mother had the idea, you know, she didn't want me wearing my ALF screen print leftover chili holes in the shirt. So my mother had the idea of grabbing the clothes that were on the racks, the nicest suit clothes there were, having us put them on, go and take the photo, and then immediately walk out of the photo shoot and take the clothes off. And every year, every year, we'd send these photos out, and my mom would be like, everything's fine. And I just kept thinking, I mean, what hypocritical actions each and every year that people can't know who we really were. I mean, that super spiritual illustration is to show us that there are flashes of goodness. There are moments when we will look white hot. There are shots of us as perfect humans, but the truth is our hearts are filthy, covered in leftover chili and impoverished like my shirt, like who we were. See, the Bible says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And no amount of unpurchased JCPenney's clothes will change that. So the question of what do we need to be saved from, I'm here today to tell us that you need to be saved from that very idea. That the identity as a good person, the identity of, of you know, self-righteousness, the salvation is found in what I can do. Nobody tells me what I need to do. Salvation is, I can handle it. We got to see that that is religious venom. And Jesus came to cut that out. No one comes to know the beginning of everything through our own merit, but on Christ's merit. There is no sin like the sin of self-righteousness. It is the lowest of low, the worst of the worst. It is the Batman and Superman movie of sins. Like it is the grossest lowest of lows. Jesus has come to save us from a heart of earning to a heart of receiving. And once we get that, our entire perspective changes. It's the beginning of a new perspective. I so wish I would have understood this sooner. That yes, stuff, we're still going to suffer and there's still going to be pain. There's still going to be debt and anger. The resurrection doesn't change those events in the here and now necessarily, but the power of the resurrection begins a new perspective with every single one of them. See, if Jesus overcame death and the empty tomb tells us that he did, then then internally, is there no dark thing in our hearts and minds or external tribulation that he is not also able to overcome? For those who confront anxiety and shame and fear and torment, regret of actions and future worries on an everyday basis, if you put your trust in Jesus, all of those confrontations were taken to the grave, overcome, and what left the tomb was hope and new life and assurance. Thus solidifying that the resurrection is the silver bullet, it's the sword of Gryffindor to every circumstance which so can easily ensnare us. And if this is one's reality, more than just knowing it, hear me, if this is one's reality, more than just knowing it, Easter then is the beginning of new purpose. And that purpose is to tell all who came 
The purpose is to tell all that somebody came to save them so that they too can know one who loves them so deeply, so that they too can be forgiven, so that too, they too can live forever, so that they too can receive joy that isn't quenched by circumstance. And the proclamation starts with baptism. That proclamation starts with baptism. That's where one who believes in the Lord Jesus as Savior enters and gets in the water and puts away the old man and it puts away the old woman and you leave the old creature and you leave the old person in the deep. And it's this beautiful symbolism that you come out new. Where one lifts you out of the water like Christ has lifted us out of darkness and despair. See, it's not, hear me, baptism, it's not magic water. You're not going to swim in it and all of a sudden become immortal. Like, there's nothing weird about the water. To be baptized is to unashamedly identify publicly that Jesus is the beginning of my everything. Now, I know baptism can be a bit intimidating. I remember when I was baptized, uh, I, was, I was very nervous, and I was freaked out, and I was unsure, and I was wondering what everybody's going to think of me. Friends, please hear me. Do not let fear stop you from one of the most beautiful markers of obedience that we have been given. Hear me out. Baptism is not a really good idea. Baptism is not a suggestion in the Bible, but it is a signpost to the world that you are risen with Jesus, that you are flawed but forgiven, that you are new in Christ. Baptism is a megaphone that the resurrection matters and that God is not done. That's the proclamation from the baptistry. That's the proclamation from the pulpit. That's the proclamation from those who are risen with Jesus. That death does not have the last word. That the, that the eternal somehow, by what Jesus has done, is within reach. That the attacks on Paris and Brussels do not belong here. That abuse and racism and oppression has no place here. The resurrection, excuse me, the resurrection talks about suffering as an uninvited guest. And that Jesus is very much alive. Friends, hear me. Next time when it feels like all good has been suffocated and hope has had its last breath, when it feels that all shame has won and that you have already and you're ready to give in and give up, the resurrection roars and says, brace yourself. This is not the end, but the beginning. Friends, do you believe this? Friends, do you believe this? Let's pray for our time.